Thank you very much. Um, all the witnesses have testified in favor of the court uh, being the ones who would be responsible for the distribution of money. And in the 50 principles, you say the court would conduct a, quote, fairness hearing. What will the court be testing the fairness of? I guess it begin with uh, you, Chief Gray. Part of what uh, I think may be helpful in, in just kind of describing what the rationale behind the 50 principles in, in, in that particular area are certain aspects of what we consider to be um, um, the use of the resources, the land, the amount of money, the activity that flew through these accounts. Um, obviously, you're looking at situations like, for example, on my reservation, the Osage Nation, uh, we've had over 100 years of oil and gas exploration, and through that hybrid system I referred to earlier, we have a. Uh, um, you also have a similar situation that occurs in the use of those lands of the resources, the surface lands that have been leased after the allotment. Uh, to try to understand the the, the, the throughput, for example, of, of that kind of funding that went through there, uh, certainly does create different scenarios throughout Indian Country, and. Um, it, so the court would decide well, each different tribal entity throughout Indian country? Well, I think it's it's not so much a tribal entity as much as it's the use of the land and, and then how the resources derived from that land or how are they going to be fairly adequately uh, valued. And so the court would decide in each entity that is owned by tribes as to what's fair and what isn't fair? I admit it's a head-scratcher, Senator. I mean, I really do think that what we're trying to achieve here is just trying to find a, a, the entity that, or to find out a formula, should it be a, a congressionally driven, for example, that you have in the bill, that a formula be adequately put together uh, that can address the specific uses of the lands and the uses of the, la the resources and the funds as, as a way to determine the value of each one of the settlement accounts that are being put forward. Um, we just came up with one proposal, and, and, and in light of the, the, the specific information that exists in the bill, um, you know, there, there may be ways in which we might be able to approach the committee on how this could be resolved through a formula of some type. Tex? Uh, Chairman, I just think that, uh, that uh, in our testimony and most everybody's testimony, they feel that the court is more fair and impartial in the and I believe that the Treasury is a named uh, defendant, uh, Mr. Chairman, and so the impartiality is not, you know, that's the thought, it's not there. And I, so I understand that there's a profound mistrust of the Department of Interior and the BIA, and I understand that there's great trust, at least at the district court level, in the judge. Right. But I think you're asking a district judge to take on a task which is incredibly complex and... Uh, uh, one that I, I I don't know if a district judge has the kind of assets uh, to make those kinds of judgments, but that, that's that's my question, and I'm not. I think we're all interested in fairness, but we'd be happy to work with you, Mr. Chairman, on something I think that we could uh, come to an agreement on. But Mr. Sensgar, do you have any thoughts on this issue? No. The Northwest supported the, the special master, Mr. Chairman. And um, we'd have to look at the we'd have to look at that that, that section about the courts and, and doing valuation before we respond to that. We thought that the special master would would address that that issue. As you know, we've had special masters in the past. 
with that special master, Mr. Chairman, we want some Indian input in inspecting that. The, when we want to make sure that the sheepdog is guarding the sheep. <laughs> Mr. Uh, good, well said, Mr. Martin. Yusuf's uh, position is that we support also the, the special master. Uh, I, I'm a father of four boys, and when one boy does something to the other, I make the one who is the perpetrator apologize and correct the wrong. I think it is just to make sure the perpetrators correct what was wrong and make them do it fairly. I think still, though, there could be a role of the court as for supervision and, and some sort of injunctionary type of mechanism that if the special master or the people that are made to correct these wrongs go outside of those parameters, then there should be some sort of relief to that. Ms. Cobell, in the uh, attorney's fees were not mentioned in the principles set forth by the working group. What dollar amount or percentage of the proposed $27.5 billion was to go to attorney's fees? Um, could I answer that first question that you ask all the other witnesses? If you'd witnesses like to, it would be a pleasure. I'd, I'd love to. Um, you know, the courts do this all the time and distributing. Not with this amount of money, they don't. Yeah, on a class action lawsuit. Yes, they do. No, and, they don't. And now they don't decide what's fair and unfair. Go ahead. I, I at least everything I read, Senator. I, I, and they, um, you know, they weigh the evidence. Courts also decided what attorneys' fees are. Yes, and that was my answer that I was going to tell you. Okay. It's my understanding that the courts will decide the attorneys' fees, and that that was done as a result of a congressional act. Um, that took out the states and wanted to make sure that the federal, federal judge decides on what the attorney fees should be. Excuse me. Whenever there's a settlement proposal, they require an accounting of attorney's fees. I think the taxpayers of America would be more than entitled to know what your view is of the amount of attorney's fees that would be part of this $27.5 billion, billion dollar, uh uh, settlement. Well, the fees, our attorney fees are submitted to the courts for reimbursement. And, but you know, Senator, I really have to tell you is I've been interested in what the attorney fees have been by the federal government in fighting this case. We cannot find out. There are hundreds, just come to the courtroom, there are hundreds of attorneys that are sitting in that, in that courtroom day after day and there was a rider approved by the Congress in the appropriation bill that allowed for the government officials that were accused of this wrongdoing to hire their own attorney private firms and I see those people every single day so vice versa I really would like to see what the government is spending on attorney fees well, I would like to also, but that doesn't change the fact, I would like to know how much of the $27.5 billion would be spent on attorney's fees. I'm sure that we could get you the, get you okay. the figure, and we could share that with you. But I would, I would very much appreciate that. Um, My attorneys haven't been paid in years, let me tell you. Well, if there's $27.5 billion at play, I'm sure they will be, Ms. Cobell. There is no huge contingency firm uh, amount that has been negotiated with attorneys, let me assure you that. Let me assure you, then there should be no problem then of telling us how much of the $27.5 Yeah, I'd billion. be very happy to do that, sir. Thank you very much, because I am familiar with a case many years ago where Agent Orange 
uh, was settled, and veterans died before they got any money, <coughs> and lawyers got paid first. And I'm not going to see that happen in whatever settlement we have this case. Native Americans will be reimbursed first, <coughs> and then attorneys, if I have anything to say about it. Um, Again, I want to go back to this business because there is strong disagreement because we're trying to come to agreement with the administration. Uh, and I'll again begin with you, Chief Gray. If Congress were to place billions of dollars in the court registry, how, how would the judge distribute the money? Would it be through, as you stated earlier, a special master would be appointed and he would be making those decisions? Is that a methodology that would be pursued? Well, I think you said it there, a methodology. Um, obviously, just to help clarify some of the, the previous response to your first question earlier was that uh, obviously we need more information, I think, and, and basically what a formula would look like. It's not so much to say that certainly in our testimony that we felt like there wasn't uh, a suitable method in the court that is far superior to any other method out there. And, and, but the, the way you've described this, this particular issue be resolved in the bill these open a lot of uh, a need for more clarification, more information, and maybe that might be where I think a starting point might be in our discussions for finding out exactly what the formula might be in, in terms of, of of how Congress might be able to distribute this funds fairly and, and, and adequately. Because uh, obviously, you know, the bill in of itself at this point is doesn't answer all those questions right now. And uh, even though some of the, the question you just raised to me, I don't have a complete answer myself. So. Obviously, we, we still have a lot of work to do in this area. Thank you. And we, we'll have additional questions, which we will submit to you as we go through, the, continue through this process, as well as questions for the administration. And I want to emphasize again that um, we appreciate many of these many long years of involvement in this issue. We are trying to come up with some way of preventing another 10, 15, 20 years of litigation in the courts, which is uh, very uncertain. I have a personal opinion that I'm a bit disturbed at some of the recent Supreme Court decisions as they affect Native Americans. I think there has been some encroachment on the principle of tribal sovereignty and government-to-government -government relationship. So I'm not, I'm not totally confident that even though you've got a district court judge that has ruled your way, that if it wended its way all through the all the way through the courts, that you would get a satisfactory resolution. Number one, number two is it, it still eludes me why we can't sit down together, all of us that are involved, but uh, and and come up with some uh, reasonable uh, resolution to an issue that, as Mr. Swimmer testified, has already been in the courts for nine years. And uh, if we're going to uh, reach an agreement, there's going to have to be some compromise on on both sides. And when I talk to the previous special <coughs> masters, they say that the reason why it failed, and I met with them, and they say the reason why it's failed is because neither side has been willing to, to, to move uh, in a more compromising direction. So... Um, I, I, I think that I speak for both of us when I say in this, certainly Senator Dorgan is more eloquent than I am, we want to give this as hard an effort as we possibly can. But we can't just have hearing after hearing, year after year, uh, 
on this issue because there's needs in Indian country for education, health care, housing, etc. But as Senator Dorgan pointed out, all of those efforts are impacted by this issue. And that's why we are giving it the priority that they are. I know that all of the witnesses at this table and behind you are men and women of good faith, and uh, maybe we're going to have to to ask you to exercise that to a significant degree, even where it may alienate some of your constituency. I can assure you that Senator Dorgan and I have on several occasions, and on this one, alienated part of our constituency. So <laughs> so I want to thank you again and appreciate this uh, your involvement as in cases, uh, in your cases, for many, many years. Thank you. I thank the witnesses. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much. <laughs> Yes, uh, they just started the next vote. First of all, let me thank all five of you, and I regret that we're moving back and forth, but it's the only way we can conduct 10-minute votes uh, uh, and still maintain this this hearing and complete it. Ms. Cobell, let me let me start with you. You you said you're sorry if you hurt the committee's feelings. You don't hurt feelings of people involved in politics. Uh, if, if, you're, if, if one's feelings are hurt easily, you don't run for the United States Senate. So it's, <laughs> it's, not, about, it's not about hurting our feelings. It, it is, I think, however, that using a term like massacre to describe in, in description and, and also in uh, opposition uh, and, you know, just disillusionment with legislation, I think... I worry hurts our opportunity to find solutions. That was the only point that I was making in my statement. It's not about hurting feelings. You're a very passionate and a very articulate advocate. Uh, that's obvious from your testimony today, and I understand that. And I would be as well if I were sitting on that side of the table, uh, concerned, upset, anxious, uh, worried that this has taken far too long. I mean, I would, I'd have all those feelings because I think... From your testimony, um, you describe descriptions of 1915 uh, and, and periods back when I think literally people were stealing from Indian people. Unscrupulous people were supposed to be in charge of these assets on behalf of Indian people. And uh, there was very substantial waste and abuse and fraud, especially fraud, I think. And we need to do a better job of describing that, I think, because uh, others say, well, we've looked at accounts in the last 10 years or something. You know, it's a different story. This is, this is historical, and it's substantial, and it's a big issue. So I just I want to say that I understand your passion, but I, I do hope, even, even if we disagree in the end of this process, if we, if we cannot find agreement, and this committee finally says, look, we can't do this, you go back to the courts, and whatever happens, happens in the courts, and figure it all out, but, but it's something we can't do. I mean, if that's the case, it, it won't have been because we didn't make an honest, as aggressive as possible effort, because we felt it was necessary to try to solve it. So, But it is not solvable without all the stakeholders. It, it, it will not, cannot ever be solved in the context of the kind of discussion we're having without all the stakeholders being interested in solving it. If all the stakeholders are not interested, it's, it's very easy, in my judgment, to uh, upend any agreement or any negotiation. And then it just goes back to the courts and perhaps another $500 million in legal expenses and maybe six, eight, ten billion billion in uh, accounting fees to try to figure out uh, 
uh, who the thousands of, of the people are that own a fractionated interest in uh, 200 acres of land someplace so that we can send them a penny or two pennies. Or th- I mean, just none of this, you know, none of this comes together unless we find a thoughtful way for reasonable people to come together and say, let's figure this out and solve it and address the abuses. <coughs> Let me just uh, finally ask a couple of questions. Um, Tex Hall, uh, your organization, I believe, because you and Chief Gray have, have traveled a lot, used a lot of personal time to to try to work through this, um, I, I assume you're committed to seeing if you can find a legislative solution. I mean, there are other solutions, but I'm, Senator McCain and I are both talking now about it. some kind of a negotiated legislative solution. Is that is that what you would prefer, and is that what you're committed to trying to find? Uh, Mr. Chairman, there's no question about it that, that NCAI and I know ITMA, as well as working with the Cabell plaintiffs, are totally committed. When you were raising the question about the, you know, in the past, 1915 and the fraud, and it made me think of an elder that passed on, Carol Youngbear. Carol, Carol had diabetes. This was two years ago, and uh, she asked me for help to get her <laughs> IM account checked, and there was a delay in getting the checks paid out. All she wanted was she only gets a couple hundred, you know, dollars, not too much in her IM account. She just wanted to use van with a hydraulic lift because she had her legs amputated. And uh, all she wanted was to expedite her check so she could get a used van and go play bingo. And uh, it was sad to, you know, to not be able to help because we couldn't get the check and she passed on. And so it's elders like her that, that, that make me get criticized at home for traveling too much. You know, my constituents want me to work at my tribe, but as NCI president, I have to travel to try to bring unity to get this. And so I'm further committed because of the elders like Carol to get this legislation, find common ground, find a way to do that. And and I know with uh, the gentleman sitting next to me and all the people at this uh, at this uh, panel, these five people, I know we're committed to doing that. But we started this in February, and I know that he's probably caught heck at home too for for being gone from his tribe in Osage, and uh, because he's a chairman, at, he's a chief at his tribe. But it's an issue that affects all of us. Mr. Chairman, so that's why we're further committed and, and we're optimistic because, and I want to publicly thank you for your leadership for co-sponsoring Senate Bill 1439, Senator Dorgan. That, to me, is the key, is that bipartisan leadership that you stepped forward and you signed on to this bill. So that tells me that you're committed, and if you're committed, we have to be committed as well. So it's a, to me, it's a team effort, and we're totally committed and further committed after hearing the words that I heard from you and Chairman McCain and members of the committee today. Chief Gray? Yes, um, and like Chairman Hall said, uh, uh, when, we, when we set out the effort to uh, respond to this, uh, this call for input from Indian country, we knew what we were getting into in terms of the time of the commitment that it was going to take. And, uh, and I want to uh, specifically say that uh, we wouldn't have done it if we didn't think that you all were genuinely sincere in trying to do this. And, uh, and I think that what we've tried to do is and, and try to bring all the parties together and have these meetings both region-wide and tribal-wide <coughs> and significantly addressing some of the specific resources out there. And when we formulated our principles last June and presented them uh, to the committee, um, we felt like uh, that, too, was a good start. And uh, although there's going to have to be 
that kind of uh, necessary give and take with the administration and the committee regarding these uh, areas where we have broad enough agreement to go forward. I just want to let you know that uh, um, ITMA and, and the tribes that make up this organization as well as the Osages are going to be committed to that process. Mr. Martin, you, you uh, I, I was not here when you testified, but I've, I've uh, been able to uh, look at your testimony. You testified there are a number of vacant positions and understaffing at the Department of Interior and the BIA. How, how does that impact your member tribes? This year in the 06 budget and coming in the 07 budget, uh, they allude to a crisis in law enforcement where that um, money is needed for law enforcement elsewhere. So therefore, the staffing, and only six staffs, staff people exist in our uh, District 6 office, is proposed to be cut down to one. Uh, on those. So due to the absorbance of trust-related functions, there has been less money to be able to go to non-trust-related uh, uh, functions like law enforcement, uh, educations, and, and uh, other programs like that. It also, you'll find in the um, 2B, in the re-engineering, you'll find in as far as uh, uh, the, if you look at the reorganization and the work of the OST, a lot of areas when they go in there with their trust officers, uh, and, and, and they've, they've made improvement. I, I have to give credit where credit is. They've, they've made improvement in trust officers, but you will find in some regions they don't have the staff to do the work for the trust officers to review and sign off on. You find that there, there are places in the BIA uh, uh, across Indian country that are understaffed, that you have good working people, but not enough warm bodies to get the work done. Ms. Cobell, uh, words have meaning, and I, I understand the story you told about the history of your tribe and the suffering of your people and understand uh, the way you used words in your description of this. Uh, the, the draft legislation that Senator McKean and I have issued, we, we did when we issued it say this is a draft, a starting point. Uh, um, for some people in negotiations, no means it's an opening position. For other people, no means never under any condition. Um, you know, you never know exactly what it means from certain people until you begin negotiating. Um, I'm wondering what negotiations would mean to you here in terms of um, your very strong feelings about this. You, you're, you're let, you, you've given us, I think, helpful testimony today. We appreciate that. You've described in some detail, beyond that which you recited orally today, you've described in some detail certain provisions that you think need to be changed and how they, how they should be changed. But, you know, it, it, is, it is much easier to oppose than propose. I mean, it just is. It, it, and we... Um, we all know Mark Twain was once asked if he would get involved in a, if he'd be involved in a debate, and he, he said, um, "Sure, as long as I can take the opposing view." And they said, "We've not told you what the subject is." It doesn't matter. He said, "The opposing view won't take any time to prepare." Uh, it, it is so much easier to oppose than propose. So the question I ask you: You've heard. Uh, Chairman Hall and Chief Gray and, and others talk about the need to be involved in trying to construct some sort of legislative approach that might address these issues or solve these issues. 
Do you feel this is achievable in a legislative arena? Is this the manner in which it should be addressed? And do you feel you would want to be a continuing part of negotiations in an attempt to address it? Of course. I definitely would like to be involved in the continuing negotiations. And I'd like to clarify just a couple areas of, after listening to the testimony today is that when the mediation took place, we put proposals on the table. The department did not. So we're not the bad guys in this in this entire game. You know, we're the ones that are fighting, that have fought and won major victories in court. And that's what I saw about the legislation, is these major victories were not implemented into the, the legislation. And I was really concerned about that, especially we won. And I think it's important to, to uh, clarify that the Court of Appeals has largely affirmed the district court. And when I heard Senator McCain talking about just the district court, um, he wasn't referring to the Court of Appeals. And the Court of Appeals has affirmed the district court on jurisdiction, on standards, on the application of the trust law, on the scope of the accounting, that the accounting scope is from 1887 forward. So the, the district court has upheld I mean, the appellate court has upheld the district court in all of these arenas, and those are very important areas to cover in this legislation. So I just want to make sure that, you know, I have never – I worked on the 1994 Trust Fund Reform Act, and let me tell you, we gave, we compromised, and look what happened. It didn't work. And, and that's what I, I feel about, you know, the Office of the Special Trustee is not working. You heard from the testimony today that that is an area that does not seem to be working. So, you know, I compromise. I'm, I'm not the bad person in this. I'm just wanting accountability for individual Indian beneficiaries. And um, if we can do it in the ways that satisfy individual Indian beneficiaries, then I'm willing to sit at the table. But I think that are, there are certain victories that have happened in the court that need to be part of this legislation. Well, we will stipulate that our feelings aren't hurt and you're not the bad person. Uh, you, you, have, you and others have every right to seek redress in the courts. You've done that. Uh, you have been successful at many different levels. Uh, uh, so I, I understand that you're not coming to this in bad faith at all. You, you, you have used the, the system of justice in this country to address wrongs and so the question at the moment is, we find ourselves at a kind of an intersection here. Uh, one road, I think, leads us to spend a lot of money on things that detract from the needs of Indian people in a way that will probably never get us a, a, a good solution. And another road might be for all of us to understand that we really are forced to negotiate something that is fair and just and equitable in order to put the past behind us, address the needs of people who have been uh, victimized, and then from here forward trying to, to, to straighten all this out and make certain this doesn't happen again. Um, I, let me again say on behalf of Chairman McCain and myself, we've, we and our staffs have worked very hard on this and will continue to do that. And what we'd like to do is use this hearing as an opportunity. And as many of you have brought ideas to this hearing uh, as well. 
Chairman McCain said, and he's absolutely correct, we can't just go on and have hearing after hearing after hearing. We're not going to take this next year and a half in this Congress and decide that we're going to have ten more hearings on trust reform because we, we just we can't do that. But we can, it seems to me, make this a major priority from now forward as we negotiate to see if we can find a, a solution. And it, I think, you know, if by the end of this year, in the next three, four, five months, if we could find our way through this that, that would seek a solution that all of us think is just and fair, uh, I think it would be the best news in the world for Native Americans, uh, for uh, the first Americans who have seen their rights violated and, and who ask not just the courts but ask the Congress now to intervene in a way that, that uh, redresses those wrongs. So that would be my hope, and I, the reason I ask Ms. Cobell, your, your name is on uh, the litigation, obviously, and others of you, all of us have interests here. I just wanted to make sure everybody is really interested in pursuing this approach that Senator McCain and I have tried to initiate. Uh, I'm hopeful as a result of your response and the response of all of you, and I think uh, Senator McCain will not be able to return because we will have another vote, I believe, that has perhaps just started on the uh, defense authorization bill, so I will have to go cast that vote as well. And I want to, on behalf of the chairman, myself, and other members of the committee, thank all of you for taking the time to come to Washington, D.C. today and to participate in this hearing and uh, give us, I hope, a renewed starting point uh, with the legislation that we've introduced and the opportunity to continue working with you and talking with you about this important issue. That this hearing is adjourned.